Welcome to the first episode of the Sam Podcast. Name will be changed later, but I didn't have time to actually come up with one before I did this, so I ended up doing this. So, first things first, this is going to be the sports side. I'll do an esports side, but it will be completely separate. So, news of the day. Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes signing new contract extensions with the Vancouver Canucks. Pedersen's being three years with an average annual value of $7.35 million. Hughes being six years with an average annual value of $7.85 million. And I think the Canucks got it right here because what you really need to do is you need to be able to get both of them playing this year and into the future. And you couldn't afford to go long-term with Pedersen because buying a couple UFA years would bring the average annual value up to probably between 10 to 12 million and they don't have the money for that whereas he did have the money to get Hughes and frankly what I think is a good deal considering market value with Makar and Seth Jones all making more north of 8 or 9 million so I think the Canucks did a heck of a job there and that's all that's going to be all the hockey for today as we'll move on to soccer in the Premier League so, earlier today, we had Tottenham Hotspur against Aston Villa, ending with a 2-1 victory for the Spurs. Big takeaways from the game, Hyungman Son, fantastic. Complete terror to everything Villa wanted to do. Every time the ball went to him, there was danger. He had two assists. One, he got the ball early in the opponent's half, pulls it up and gets towards the box, lays it off for Hoybier, who also played well, but he tucked it away calmly in the bottom corner. No chance for the keeper. And then the second goal, well, it's an own goal, but it was really fantastic what he did. He got the ball down the wing, and he'd been cutting inside and shooting on the instep. He'd missed most of the time, but... And then... He goes in on the instep, but he fakes him and goes down towards the box, sending the ball across. And it's an easy four-stone goal where if he didn't get in front of it and put it into his own net, it would have been a tap-in for Lucas Mora, who was lying in wait. But overall, it was a much-needed win for Spurs. Um, standouts for the game, Son, of course, really fantastic. I thought Oliver Skip was pretty good. Had a couple nice tackles. Did give the ball away to Danny Ings and got a yellow card, which I didn't like the call. But it happens sometimes. Christian Romero in, I think it's his first Premier League start for the club. Uh, actually, no. Uh, he started against Crystal Palace, which was a very forgettable game. But he was quite good. He did make a pretty big mistake on the one Aston Villa goal which was Ollie Watkins on a nice ball in, near post. Really, really good. Well-worked ball. But it all started with Romero charging forward, missing a slide tackle that ended up netting him a yellow card after the play. But it all went pretty well there for Villa. And overall, though, that this Spurs opened up, and then Villa equalized, and the Spurs came right back after the equalizer, scoring within, like, two or three minutes, and it was nice to see some energy there from a team that had really looked quite lackluster. 
Next up, we had Liverpool and Man City in a 2-2 draw at Anfield. And the first half was actually really slow. City was doing their normal City stuff where they possess the ball. They don't let you have it. And Liverpool looked pretty out of it. But then in the second half, pretty early on, you had Salah playing through Mane. And if you get him in a one-on-one against the keeper, no keeper in the world is probably going to stop that. It's really difficult. So it ended up going 1-0 to Liverpool. And then, after that, City struck back. It was Phil Foden, who was really, really spectacular. It was a nice run by Gabriel Jesus, who played him in. And really, really excellent finish. Tight angle, right into the bo- right into the corner, hugging the post. Really good. Tough save for Allison, who was a, probably one step too close to his near post which didn't help his cause, but it's a really great finish, so tough to stop. But the story of the game really is um, Phil Foden and Mohamed Salah, because Salah came back after Foden's goal. There was a bit of time before Salah scored. One of the best goals you're going to see anywhere. He He dribbled through, I think, three players and then tucked it past Ederson. And it was really, really fantastic how he did that. He managed to control the ball really excellently. And it's just a display of excellence there. And then after that, it was De Bruyne with the equalizer that would end up leading to the draw. Kind of a scramble. Ball fell to him. Nice shot. But... I I think City overall were definitely better, especially in the first half. And Liverpool will be happy to get out with the draw. But there were, it was it was a pretty good game though, especially in the, that second half was quite fun to watch. So moving on, we have West Ham versus Brentford. And this one was actually pretty cool cuz Brentford has been a really interesting team to watch. They're usually very aggressive. They're usually all up on the ball. They're going to press you to death. They're not going to let you let you have room. They're going to force turnovers, and from there they can. They're always dangerous on the attack, especially with Ivan Tony, who wasn't as fantastic as the game against Wolves, where he was really, really ridiculous. But Brentford struck first with Mbomo. This one was Tony's biggest contribution. A really, really nice pass into Sergi Canos, and. He got stopped by the keeper, but rebound popped out to Mbomo, who tucked it away and made it 1-0 to Brentford, even though I thought they were pretty passive today, which was interesting because usually they're so aggressive, but they showed a passive side to them, and in the end, West Ham ended up equalizing off a set piece, scrambling for the net, and Bowen tucked it in. I think it was Bowen. Not 100% sure on that, but... Then, not super, super interesting. Not a ton of action. Then, in the in injury time, in the 90th minute, uh, Brentford won a free kick. It was Wissa, I believe. I probably butchered that name. But, he won a free kick. The free kick went in. Pontus Janssen was denied. And then, the guy who won the free kick, Wissa, put it in off the rebound through a whole flurry of people. And it's a pretty crazy one. They stole three points off of West Ham, who are quite a good team. And 
that's a really big win for Brentford. So it's definitely interesting to see how far they've come with their analytical style of recruiting players and playing. They do. They've done quite a good job there. The organization's great. I think Thomas Frank has also been do some praise for quite a while now. And then we had Wolves versus Newcastle, which was a two-one win for Wolves, and this game was really defined by Huang He Chan's finishing, because Wolves at the start of the season without him, they couldn't score. No matter what they did, a lot of this is Adama Traore who really just can't score. He can dribble past anybody. He could dribble past, like, an army, and then he'd miss a wide-open net. So, it's definitely an interesting one for him, but in this game, they didn't seem to have too many troubles because Huang Hee-chan had a couple really nice, really, really nice finishes there, tucking them into two opposite corners and made it really difficult to do anything, and... I thought Wolves were the better team. Like, Newcastle puts up a fight, especially St. Maximan. He's, he's really, really fantastic. Like, I think that he is a ridiculously good player, and I don't think being stuck on Newcastle really helps him that much. Next up, Manchester United versus Everton. This one ended up in a 1-1 draw, which was really weird, because you would expect United to win that handily. But they didn't. Interesting thing to note, Martial started over Ronaldo. He did score, and that was the opening goal. But I think it's pretty crazy that Martial's even starting. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a bit confused. He's rotating everything so much, and I don't think it's optimal. I think he's kind of confusing everybody, and I think it shows like, they subbed on Ronaldo later on, and he played maybe 20 or 30 minutes, as well as Sancho. But Everton equalized. was pretty good. They also, they were very close to winning the game, but a VAR call um, disallowed a goal, which he was offside for. But it was an interesting game because it really showed some of the dysfunction present in Manchester United. They, I don't think they were, they weren't up to how they should be with all that talent they have on that team, which most people are going to say is the manager, and I am too, because if you have all the talent in the world and you can't get anything out of it, then I don't think there's anywhere else to point, especially with so many great managers available, the likes of Conte and Zidane, both available. You have to wonder about Oli's future there, and... It's interesting because he's been the best manager they've had since Sir Alex Ferguson, but the couple managers before him really weren't that good. So it's troubling for Manchester United. It's not a great sign. They have tons of talent. I also would like to give a quick mention to Jaden Sancho, who I thought played quite well in the 20 or so minutes he was subbed on for. I think it was his best time played for Manchester United, and it was pretty good to see him do a bit better. I know he had been struggling to find his footing, and he hadn't been even getting played a ridiculous amount at Manchester United so far since he made his move from Dortmund. And the last game I found super relevant was Chelsea versus Southampton. And this one was a pretty good one. And 
Chelsea got off to the to a quick start. I believe it was Chalaba. Might have been the second goal, but I don't exactly know the sequences. But Chelsea opened up the scoring. Then Southampton got a penalty. It was James Ward-Prowse who saw that away. And then later on, James Ward-Prowse got sent off. And I thought that was a yellow. I really thought it was an issue that he got sent off for a straight red. I really thought... Because the goalkeeper put the Chelsea player in a really bad spot. I think it was Jorginho. And Ward-Prowse goes in to get the ball. I think the reason it got a red card was I think the studs may have been up a bit. But I thought, personally, that it should have been a yellow. And that decision affected the game a lot. Because... Down to 10 men, Southampton really couldn't do much. And Chelsea scored two. It was a 3-1 win. Interestingly, Timo Werner was actually quite good. He had one goal disallowed by VAR, his, I believe, 16th disallowed from VAR since joining Chelsea, I believe. Which is pretty ridiculous. But he had one disallowed by VAR, and then he actually got his goal back. Which is definitely good for him. He has struggled to find form since he made his move from RB Leipzig. And I think that this could be a step in the right direction. I think he was also really quite good when I saw him against Spurs. He was quite impactful. And his legs can be very, very dangerous. He's very quick and could cause some nightmares in back lines having... Someone that quick feeding balls into Lukaku. Now we'll move on to the NFL. This was week four, and the Sunday night game, finished not too long ago, was the Buccaneers and the Patriots. Tom Brady's historical return back to Foxborough, and it was a slow start for both teams. And Mac Jones had an interception. Mac Jones was very good. Mac Jones was very good, and it made it a very good game. Because I think most people expected this to go very handily in the Buccaneers' favor. But I think Mac Jones was quite good. New England's defense showed up, especially in the first half. They struggled a bit towards the end, but especially uh, Matthew Judon. He was fantastic. Constantly creating pressure and havoc around Tom Brady really made it his life difficult. And it's interesting because... A lot of the free agent players New England has br- have brought in haven't been super impactful. You look at Johnu Smith, especially. Hunter Henry even hasn't done a ridiculous amount. But Matthew Judon has been really fantastic. And he's made an impact. And that impact has been really helpful. I can imagine how much fun Bill Belichick has each week. Just figuring out, okay, where do I want to use him? Because you can move him around. Most of the time he comes off the left side. But you saw him come off the right a couple times to square up against Tristan Wirfs. And there's some pretty good battles there. Like, there there was one where um, Judon battled through two players. It was Ronald Jones and one of the offensive linemen from Tampa Bay. And he just went straight through him and sacked Brady. Which was ridiculous that he could just overpower two people especially when being an offensive lineman, and get to Tom Brady. Um, Antonio Brown, he was good for the most part, 
except for the last Tampa Bay drive, he had two really bad drops. I think both were in the end zone. But it was really bad to see those drops come through. It really, really stung the Patriots. And then it comes down. Patriots get the ball, move down the field. And then with about a minute left on fourth and three from New England's third, from uh, Tampa Bay's 39 maybe, because they attempted a 56-yard field goal. And it went off the upright no. But the issue was, it was 4th and 3 with a minute left. Tampa Bay had two timeouts, New England had one. Why are you kicking a field goal? You should never be kicking a field goal. Especially with Mac Jones playing well through the drive. They had just had a third down where he had a man open, but the ball was batted down at the line. He had been doing very well all game at finding players, and you don't give him the ball on 4th and three. It was a short three. It was more like two. But why are you kicking? You should never be kicking the field goal there. Because even if you make the field goal, even if you make the field goal, you give Tom Brady a minute and two timeouts to go down the field needing three. That's a death sentence. Every team manages the clock to avoid that. So, it's very puzzling as to why they not only attempt a very long field goal on a very rainy night, but they also mismanage the clock, and they don't give it to Mac Jones, who had been absolutely fantastic on the night. So it's really difficult for me to say, but it's just puzzling. And I thought I thought that the Patriots should have won that game off that. If Belichick had gone for it, I think the Patriots would have won that game. And we'd be looking at a whole different story. Some other games that were interesting, there was the Steelers against the Packers. This Coming into this, you'd expect a pretty good game if you were looking at it from week one, but the Steelers were 1-2 and two up against the 2-1 and one Packers, I believe. I think they had lost one. Yeah, they lost one to the Saints. But Packers came out. They looked better. I think, I think Big Ben Roethlisberger is finished. He really cannot put much together. And the Steelers, an extra turnover. The Packers had 70 more rushing yards than the Steelers. And I think Chase Claypool being out definitely hurt the Steelers because he's far and away their best receiver. He's really a fantastic player. And a lot of those broken plays end up in a jump ball to Claypool for Roethlisberger. But I still think he has not had any good performances to start this year. He has not done himself any favors. And I think he's a large portion of why they're 1-3. and three. And they're staring down some a rough spot in a very good division with both the Ravens, Brown, Ravens and Browns and the Bengals. The Bengals aren't bad. The Bengals are not bad at all. Jamar Chase has been very good. Joe Burrow's healthy. And they, can, they could surprise a lot of people. But I still don't think this is their year to make the playoffs just because of the strength of their division. But they lost to the Bengals. They still haven't played in a bunch of these tough games. They still haven't played the Ravens. They still haven't. And I don't think they've played the Browns either. So you've got you've got issues there in the Steel City. So they'll have to figure something out. I think Najee Harris is a fantastic player. He I think he'll grow 
a bit more towards that Derrick Henry type as the years go on. But even Derrick Henry had a pretty rough start in the NFL. So I think it might take him a few few weeks, even maybe just a year, to get acclimated properly. But I think the Steelers are in a bit of trouble, and I think they need to get a quarterback in the first round next year, whoever that may be. Next up, we have the Seahawks versus the 49ers. This one was a great one. Very different from how most people thought it would be with the Seahawks coming in at 1-2, and two, the 49ers 2-1. and one. But the 49ers, the significant thing about it is the Seahawks had played much better teams than the 49ers, barring maybe the Vikings. Because I, I think Tennessee's a very good team. And they've actually struggled a lot. We'll get to that later, including this week. But Tennessee's a pretty good team. Indianapolis gave the Rams a hard time, and the Rams are one of the best teams in the NFC. And the Vikings, they should have won that game. They really, really struggled. I also think that their defense completely let them down. But going into this game, the first drive for Seattle was a quick 3-0, and out, which it happens. Usually it doesn't happen at the start of the game, though, for the Seahawks. So it was a bit of a worrying sign because usually this offense that starts off red hot starts cold, and you're thinking, oh, God, the defense is completely exposed. And in the first drive, they looked horrendous. They just got marched down the field, not a single bit of resistance. And then after that, Seahawks got the ball back. And then there were a couple of possessions traded with the 49ers. I believe the 49ers went down the field in the next possession and missed the field goal because Robbie Gold hurt his groin in warm-up, which ended up being pretty significant in this game. But then the Seahawks, right before the half, got the ball moving a bit. They moved the ball down the field and wired, put together a nice touchdown drive that ended up with the DK Metcalf reach for the end zone. It was a really tight call, actually, that one. I thought originally that he was short, but they ruled it a touchdown, and it was too close to overturn, so there's not much you're really going to see there. But Then, in the second half, Garoppolo was actually out, and Trey Lance came on, the number three overall pick from this past year's draft. And you're seeing that Trey Lance is coming on, Garoppolo listed with a calf injury. We don't know his status for the next couple weeks, but Trey Lance came on, first possession, they go 3-0. Seahawks get the ball back, and I thought that the Seahawks were quite good. They started moving the ball. In the second half, they were actually, they had a good third quarter, which hadn't happened yet this year, and that third quarter really, really saved them this game, and I think that Alex Collins was someone that really Made stuff work. Had a fantastic game. And Sidney Jones is a good shout, with Trey Flowers being the bane of every Seahawks fan for the last probably year because of his very, very permissive defending. And another good game from Bobby Wagner. I thought he was spectacular. I, I think it's really interesting how good he manages to be, no matter what situation he ends up in, he always manages to deliver 
great performance after great performance. It doesn't matter how old he is, who he's playing against. Every game he's showed up to play, and he's made so many fantastic plays throughout his career and so many fantastic plays in this game. There was one pass breakup where he dove there just to get a hand of the ball and deflect it down, which sent it off the receiver and led to an incompletion. And that stuff's really important, especially against a rookie quarterback, because if you get them out of their rhythm, they're going to struggle. And Trey Lance never found his rhythm. He was awful. So many passes ended up getting knocked down at the line or just darted into the ground because he missed them. The 49ers had one big touchdown, a 75-yard touchdown to Debo Samuel off a miscommunication. Jamal Adams was passing off uh, Debo Samuel on a wheel route to Sidney Jones, but Sidney Jones didn't pick him up, so left a pretty funny picture with one 49ers receiver with a, without a Seahawk within 15 yards of him, which he got nobody could catch him once he got that ball. And he easily waltzed into the end zone. But that made it, I believe, 21-14, maybe? Um, yeah, I thought Seattle's defense was very, very good. They 49ers would tack on a garbage time touchdown, ending up in 28-21 Seahawk victory. And this is a really big win, especially with them facing the Rams next week. And the Rams being... Really, really spectacular, especially with their new overhauled offense, getting rid of Jared Goff, bringing in Matthew Stafford. And you have to be really worried if you're a 49er fan with Trey Lance's performance, because you may look at you may look at another you may look at another Jimmy Garoppolo or Jared Goff situation where you trade a lot of capital to get this quarterback. Right? You sign him to you end up signing him to a big contract off one big year and. He comes out and he flops. If that happens, then I think the Ford, I think this current era of the 49ers, the Shanahan-Lynch regime, is done. Lynch will be fired. Shanahan will be fired. They'll clean house. And it will take them a while to get back there. They're going to have to do a lot of retooling. It may mean all, some good players get traded. Some of the veterans, like maybe Trent Williams ends up leaving, right? So... It's a really troubling loss for the 49ers, putting them at 2-2 two and two without a win over a really good team. They beat the winless Lions and the Eagles, who dropped to 1-3 and three with a loss against the Chiefs today. Next up, staying in the NFC West, we have the Cardinals going to L.A. to play the Rams. And the Rams coming into this looked unstoppable. They had just shot out Tom Brady's Buccaneers. And... They seem to be impeccable with a fantastic defense maintained from last year, and Matthew Stafford taking over for Jared Goff at the cost of two first-round picks. But the Cardinals came out, and they dominated them. So they actually had a similar amount of yardage in total. I think part of that was once the Rams fell behind, they started having to start throwing, and that usually ends up near more yardage. The Cardinals, though, had 216 yards rushing between James Conner, Chase Edmonds, and Kyler Murray. They managed to get so much done on the ground. And it's a worrying sign for the Rams because so much of that Rams defense's proficiency comes in their D-line and their secondary. 
but so much of the defending against the run is the linebackers. And that's the only real spot where you can point out in the Rams' defense and say, okay, this is not elite. This is not top seven, maybe, in the league in this position group. Because their D-line is fantastic, led by Aaron Donald, who is going to end up as probably the best defensive tackle to ever do it. He's really ridiculous what he does. And then you have your secondary with Jalen Ramsey, who is just getting moved all over the place now. But then your linebackers, they're okay. They're not great. They don't have a Bobby Wagner. They don't have a Fred Warner or a pa- Patrick Queen. Uh, that's not a great one. Devin White was the one I was kind of going for. But they don't have that player in the middle of the field that's going to find everything, find every run. They don't have that kind of guy that's just going to stuff it out. So we could see some issues with the Rams and defending the runs on the second level with the linebackers. And I think the Cardinals were fantastic today. They're, they are a very good team. They're one of the two undefeateds left in the NFL, them along with the Raiders, who play tomorrow night against the Chargers, which will be a good one. By the way, my prediction for that, I'm going to predict a Chargers win 24-21. to I think the Raiders will struggle to get a lot done against the Chargers' defense. And it's crazy that I think somebody's not going to get a lot done against the Chargers' defense, but I think Justin Herbert's really, really great. So I think he'll find a way to win with a game-winning drive that leads them to a field goal. Next up, the Washington football team versus the Atlanta Falcons. And here is just sad. The Atlanta Falcons, they can't win. No matter what they do, no matter what lead they get, they manage to throw it away. They they should have won this game. They should have, 100%. And they had the ball back. They had a chance to stop Washington when they were up two scores. They couldn't do it. Then they got the ball back with a chance to ice to get to ice the game, and they couldn't do it. And then they need to stop Washington from getting points. And guess what? They couldn't do it. It was horrible. And for Washington, you got Taylor Heineke, who, great story, kind of okay quarterback. I don't think he's really spectacular, and he's quite mobile, but he had a couple prayers that were answered there with some of these plays where he's under pressure and he just chucks up a ball and stays in the air for about 10 seconds, and everybody can see where it's coming. So it ends up just being a jump ball, kind of in a Hail Mary style. But there was a couple of them that actually were caught. And it was just horrific defense by the Atlanta Falcons. And you start to look at it and you start to wonder, maybe Dan Quinn wasn't the issue because they're doing better under him. Of course, they don't have Julio Jones this year, but they do have Kyle Pitts, who should be a pretty similar target in both size and athleticism. So... It's pretty crazy that the Falcons are so terrible, and I think pretty soon they're going to have to think, okay, what's next at quarterback? Because I don't think Matt Ryan's the guy for them going forward, and they're going to need to start tearing it down. There are too many veterans on that team that aren't getting enough done and probably can be shipped off for some sort of value because there are always teams buying based off injuries and stuff that are really looking to contend, you should probably flip as much as you can because it's a mess. It's awful. So Atlanta is quite dire. Then we had the Jets versus the Titans. I mentioned the Titans earlier. 
I do think they're a good team. They they're a good team. They just can't seem to figure it out. Their defense hasn't been able to do much. And Zach Wilson, who has been struggling all year, led the Jets to put up twenty seven points on them, and that's too many to give up to a Jets team like that. Like, I think that the Titans really could have benefited from, of course, some more clock control with Derrick Henry. And in the end, the Titans still had a chance to walk out of there with a tie, but it was a missed field goal. So, it's still not perfect. The Titans, I believe they're, what are, what's their record? Maybe 2-2? Two and two? I think they're 2-2. Two and two. But I think it's not perfect. They should be a better team than they are. Julio Jones in the game against Seattle was fantastic. And Tannehill seems to be able to get it done. I just And Henry, of course, was great against Seattle. But I haven't seen as much Henry as I think we should be seeing. Like, I think Henry should be a stronger force. Then the last thing I'll talk about is the Giants and the Saints. So, this one was very good. Very good game. Daniel Jones actually completed 70% of his passes, going for 402 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. And Saquon Barkley, two touchdowns, which is really cool to see a player come back like that from an injury. But most people thought the Saints would blow out the Giants. The Giants were a pretty poor team throughout the start of the season, but they, they look good today. And at the overtime coin flip, there was an iconic soundbite that I, I will urge you to check out if you are okay with some rather foul language of Jabril Peppers. It's quite funny. It's a hot mic, but there is some bad language there. But the Giants went down there in overtime and just they got in. It was a Saquon Barkley touchdown. and That kind of drive is is what you want to see out of a guy like Daniel Jones, who's taken a lot of criticism in his first couple of years as the quarterback of the New York Giants. And it's, of course, difficult. Like, it's never going to be easy because it's a very big market and all your failures are amplified. The team around you is not that great. Saquon Barkley's been injured for the longest time. The offensive line is falling apart half the time. But they went into New Orleans and got the job done, and that's definitely a good sign for the future. Like... I think that, in the end, the Giants are going to be a team that is going to take a bit. It's a project with this Joe Judge regime, and you don't entirely know what Daniel Jones is either. I think that he has some games like today, which you look at and you're like, wow, he's fantastic. But then you have some other games where he's flat-out terrible. So he needs to find some consistency, and I think that could be the driving force for the Giants to become a better team. So that's going to be all for today. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you later.